I'm Mike Harp from Harpland and Timber in Linden, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas, Agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We are once again ready to roll with another episode of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, a tragic story out of South Texas. Two grain elevators collapsed northwest of Corpus Christi, killing one and injuring two others. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name's Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. We produce a lot of milk in the state of Texas, with the vast majority of it coming from the Texas Panhandle. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll talk about whether we could be at risk of an oversupply issue in our state. A right-to-farm constitutional amendment will be on the November 7th election ballot later this year for Texans to vote upon. The author of legislation in the Texas legislature has started a campaign for passage of that constitutional amendment. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have comments from State Representative Dwayne Burns on Texas Ag Today. Work is pretty well wrapped up on a good wheat harvest. We saw some changes in the way we did it this year. Hello, I'm Barry Mahler, and I have the story in today's report. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. One person is dead and two others were injured when two grain elevators collapsed onto two 18-wheelers and one other vehicle in Tynan, Texas, northeast of Corpus Christi. Those three people were reported to be workers at the grain facility. There is no word on what caused those elevators to collapse. Texas farmers and ranchers now have more time to sign up for a USDA program designed to help improve migratory waterfowl habitat. The Natural Resources Conservation Service has extended the deadline to be considered for the first round of funding through the Migratory Bird Resurgence Initiative to July 31st. The program offers technical and financial assistance to farmers and ranchers to preserve, protect, and improve habitat for migratory waterfowl, shorebirds, and other species. One of the required practices for those enrolled in the program is shallow water development and management. Interested landowners can contact their local NRCS office to apply. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. No-till farming is paying off for one Texas High Plains farmer this year. Walter Kristinick farms northwest of Lubbock in the Whitherall area, and he says four years of no-till seemed to really make a difference when the rains came this spring. We've been working on this for four years, but we've had drought. So this is the first year where I can see we've had this four inches and all that wheat, I didn't lose no moisture, went off the field. It stayed on the field. And that was probably the best thing. And so 
that I guess when that rain hits all that wheat, it splatters it and don't let it hit so hard on the ground and therefore it goes into the ground. Some people say it dries it out. Well, it may do, it may do that, but I, the, the guys that got slick fill, all the water went to the bottom of the row and run out the field. So I think we're ahead of them on that part. Chris Stinnett keeps a cover crop on his fields and credits those crops with keeping his soil from blowing away during the dust storms or running off during the heavy spring rains. Most of the time we never put a plow in the field and nearly 90% of our farms are that away. I've got one farm I hadn't plowed in seven years. I keep telling my landlords and stuff that you're not losing any soil going on this this way, the way we're doing it. And and so they all agree. So we're we're kind of we're kind of bought into it and we stuck and you got to stick with it. It's kind of hard sometimes. I like the smell of that dirt when you roll it over and I, I love when it plow it. But this is this is when I'm planting like this in the sweet when I was going today, I was going this is this is just catch me out. I really like it. A no-till system allows him to save on labor and cover more ground when planting and harvesting. We produce a lot of milk here in the state of Texas. James Hunt takes a look at the possibility of an oversupply issue in our state. It was pretty sad a few weeks back when all the news stories came out about dairy farmers in Minnesota having to dump milk due to oversupply. Are we at risk of something similar happening in Texas? I asked Darren Turley of the Texas Association of Dairymen, and he says an oversupply issue in our state is not very likely because so much Texas milk goes to those hot states in the southeastern U.S. That region of the country is always short of milk. As you can imagine, heat and humidity of uh, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, Georgia, we ship milk that direction. And having that neighbor that uh, has always had a shortage of milk helps us Move some milk on over to the eastern coast even. Uh, it's not as profitable, of course, as here, but it does give us a ability to move milk where some of the other states don't have that opportunity. It's good that there are so many destinations for Texas milk because our dairy farmers continue to produce a lot of it. Every month when USDA releases the monthly milk production report, the output for Texas is up year over year. It's been that way for a while now, and Turley believes increased production in our state will continue. We continue to just get more milk per cow every day. It's just amazing how efficient the modern-day dairy cow is and how much milk she can give. It's not uncommon now for us to have a herd of cows that will average 10 gallons per cow per day. And so when you go to the high plains and you think of those large operations, and those thousands of cows giving 10 gallons a piece a day and doing it again tomorrow and the next day and on forward, uh, it's a staggering opportunity to move a lot of milk every day around the state to get it to the shelves and to the consumer every day. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The right to farm and ranch in Texas will be on the ballot this November. Tom Nicoletti has more on the proposed constitutional amendment. My guest today is State Representative Dwayne Burns from Cleburne. He was the main author of uh, Right to Farm legislation in the Texas legislature. HJR 126 passed unanimously in both the House and Senate, and that uh, refers to a constitutional amendment that will be on the November 7th ballot uh, later this year for Texas voters to vote upon. And Representative Burns, uh, what will that constitutional amendment read on that ballot? The constitutional amendment will read the constitutional 
constitutional amendment protecting the right to engage in farming, ranching, timber production, horticulture, and wildlife management. Now, you have begun a campaign to get this constitutional amendment passed. Why is this so important to farmers, ranchers, uh, private property owners, and the residents of Texas? We have a generational opportunity with this constitutional amendment to protect the private property rights of folks engaged in farming and ranching and protect what we do as ag producers to feed and clothe Texans in the world. This constitutional amendment will cement in our state constitution in perpetuity our rights to farm and ranch and produce. And I think it's just one of the most important things we can do for agriculture in decades. And this has surfaced because of a lot of over-regulations by various cities, urban areas in the state that uh, have come out to literally say farming and ranching practices are harmful to their areas. That's correct. We've heard of some pretty, in my opinion, ridiculous and, and egregious examples of ordinances that are aimed at stopping folks from farming. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Wheat harvest is about wrapped up on the Texas Rolling Plains. Barry Mahler has an update from Wichita Falls. Wheat harvest just wrapped up here on the Rolling Plains as the custom harvesters loaded up and headed north to follow the ripening grain up through the wheat belt. It seems that every season brings change in the way we do things, and the change we saw in harvesting the crop this year was not so much the size of the equipment, the speed at which they get the job done, although it is amazing to watch, but our marketing situation, which I imagine is happening in many rural communities across the country. Now, I'm not talking about the price as it was fair, that is, until the basis began to suffer late in the run, but I'm talking about how we physically deliver our crop. First part is realizing that we have advanced from teams and wagons a long time ago that hauled about 100 bushels of grain, all the way up to today's concept, the semi-trucks moving it at 800 to 1,000 bushels at a time. I understand the concept. It's just more efficient to do with larger trucks. But this is not the only change. Where we deliver has also changed, not just how. In my early days of farming, we had several elevators to deliver to. There were the local feed and grain, family-owned elevators that took advantage of the seasonal opportunity to buy grain from the farmer and move it to the terminal elevator to the Port of Houston as an additional income opportunity for the business. We also had a couple of elevators that were owned by the larger grain companies that gathered grain in the rural areas, shipped it by rail or truck to the port for export, and prices were competitive. You had competition, and the capacity of all these combined elevators was adequate to house an average crop, and that kept the combines running. Well, this past year, we've lost some of the players. Some of it is generational change. The next generation just doesn't want to be in the grain business, and they sell to a competitor or close altogether. Some of it's due to aging facilities that get harder and more expensive to maintain. And some, I would guess, are the major grain companies preferring to have it delivered to a regional facility rather than a smaller local elevator. And also, I just bet some of it's because we have an inability to bind labor for this short but intense period of time during harvest. Well, the challenge is that having to haul 100 to 200 miles away takes time. It requires more equipment to keep the combines running. Had one farmer tell me that it was a real challenge to keep up with, as it seemed like he had grain hauled all over the country. And of course, as you take players out, it makes the price less competitive, and that can soften the local market. Whatever the reason, it is a major change in the way we do business, and we'll adjust to it just as we always have. But the learning curve, it's a little bit of a challenge, especially during the pressure of harvest. 
Reporting from the Rolling Plains of Texas, I'm Barry Muller for Texas Ag Today. It has been a good year for quail nesting at the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And summer pneumonia can be a problem in calves. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Why do you listen? I just want to stay informed while I'm on the go. News on the radio, it's nice because it's just a quick snippet and I don't have to go searching for it or grab a paper. I listen to radio because anywhere that I'm going, I'm listening to music or I'm listening to a talk show or I'm just trying to stay up on current events. I always turn into the radio to see if I need to take shelter or where it's hitting to see what I need to be preparing for. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Summer pneumonia can be a problem in calves. Dr. Bob Judd has more. It is difficult to understand why these older calves that are still nursing the cow develop summer pneumonia. These calves are not considered high risk and they are not stressed or changing environments, which are generally the major predisposing causes of bovine respiratory disease. And although the cause is not known, Dr. Bob Larson at Kansas State indicates that it is possibly due to decreasing immunity. When calves are born, they get antibodies from the mother in the colostrum. And as calves age, this immunity declines. So these four- to six-month-old calves are young enough to not have developed their own immunity to some of the viruses and bacteria that cause respiratory disease. And this could also explain why the biggest and oldest calves are more susceptible as they are furthest removed from the protection of the colostrum antibodies. Dr. Larson indicates summer pneumonia is not like traditional respiratory disease, as it is not seen as commonly and is not very predictable. It is commonly associated with coronavirus, and Dr. Brad White from Kansas State indicates about 20% of the herds will be affected, and in the herds that are affected, about 15% of the calves will be affected. Although at two months of age, we do not get a great response to vaccines, there is some response, and this might decrease the chance of these calves developing summer pneumonia. Not all of the vaccines are the same, as some are for bacterial and some are for viral diseases. Also, some vaccines are killed and some are modified live, so you need to check with your veterinarian to make sure the vaccines you choose are correct for these young calves. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. It has been a good year for quail nesting at the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. Jessica Domel has the story in today's Wildlife Report. Spring rainfall was beneficial to nesting quail in parts of Texas. Dr. Dale Rollins, Outreach Director at the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, says the rains the Research Foundation's ranch saw in Roby in May were a godsend to everyone especially quail. Our quail responded. We were already into a good nesting season. We had a record-setting nesting season for April, and that continued through May. We've had more nests this year than we've encountered in our last 14 years. A lot of that's rain, but some of it we think is due to some of the practices that we're implementing. He says the hot and dry weather we're seeing now does have an impact on quail. 
while we did enjoy a really nice May, middle of June, come on with some uh, tremendous heat, and there's really no end in sight in the short-term forecast, that does several things to quail. It basically halts the nesting effort, uh, which is not good news. Obviously, it's more difficult uh, for our plants and so forth, which are inherently important to quail. So the dry weather and the heat are two things, obviously, we don't want to see continue. We've been told there's an El Nino coming this fall. We just hope to, as Franklin D. Roosevelt said, tie knot and hang on. The Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation is updating its Facebook page as nests and hatched eggs are found at the ranch. To find the page, just search Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation on Facebook. There, you can also find a link to register for this year's statewide quail symposium. The quail symposium will be held August 16th through the 18th. On the 16th, participants will tour the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch in Roby. On the 17th and 18th, the event will be held in Abilene. A link to register is available on that Facebook page we mentioned and on quailresearch.org. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It's time once again to check the markets. We saw a jump in corn prices. That caused a drop in cattle prices. We'll look at all the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Why do you listen? I typically listen here at work from my desk on my way to work in the morning. When we wake up, it goes on the radio. I can hear a song and be instantly transported back to a time in my life that I enjoy remembering. I think that's what I like listening to radio for is just to stay informed on whether it's news, sports, new music, anything. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle and corn moved in opposite directions once again on Thursday. Cattle market dropped while corn prices climbed. August live cattle down 37, closing at 174.57. The October down 45, 177.42. December live cattle down 57 at 181.62. Feeder cattle dropping as well. August feeders down 242 at 242.27. The September contract off 282, closing at 245.32, with October feeder cattle down 277, 247.12. Cash fed cattle market still slow for the week. About all we could find was a few sales in Kansas at 178 and a grid sale in Texas with a base price of 180. Box B prices lower on Thursday. Choice down a dollar twenty-four, three twenty-one fifty-four. Select down two twenty-three at two ninety forty-six. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Kenny Mingus, Milam County Livestock Auction Cameron, sold him last Friday, and he'll do so again this Friday. Kenny, how was that sale? Well, we had a few more than we thought. We had 1482 out of that mix. We had 339 cows, 38 bulls, and 76 buyers. Walk the pins with us, Kenny. With the steers, under 300, 175 to $3. 3 to 400-pound steers, 160 to $3. 4 to 500-pound steers, 138 to 290 And over 500, 110 to 270 On the heifers, under 300, 161 to 282.5. 3 to 400-pound heifers, 146 to 254. 4 to 500 pound heifers, 120 to 250. 
at over five hundred a dollar to two forty two on uh Packer Jow sixty to one eleven, Packer Bulls ninety to one thirty, on your Brett Jow six seventy five to seventeen hundred, and on your Jow Calf pairs eleven and a quarter to twenty three fifty. Now, Kenny, what's your 4th of July week schedule? What I've heard, most of the companies are going to be coming back on, some of them even on Thursday, but most of them for sure off by Friday, so so we're going to have one. And actually got a good many cattle lined up. Probably got a little over 300 yearlings lined up as we speak right now. It's it's pretty warm down here in Texas, and, and uh, we're going to try to have one, and we'll do the best we can with what we got. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you so you can get people to get in there and get them bought. You bet. Just catch us at the office. 254-697-6697. Follow us on our webpage, islandcountylivestockauction.com, or catch us on Facebook. We appreciate you, Kenny. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good week. And, neighbor, we hope you have a good week and come on back to Walk in the Pens here on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. You're listening to me right this second on Texas Ag Today. Back over to the futures market now. Lean hogs finished lower in Thursday's trade. July hogs dropped $1.22 to close at $100, $0.05 weight. The August down $0.32, cents, 97.12. Class 3 milk lower once again. July milk down 8 cents, 13.93 a hundred. With August milk dropping 13 cents, 14.33 a hundred weight. Cotton market was mixed with a lower stock market keeping a lid on prices. The lightly traded October contract was up 155 points at 83.12. The December contract down 35 at 79.88 cents. Corn market saw a jump higher, correcting from the losses that we've seen over the past week following last week's USDA planted acreage report. July corn up 18 and a half to close at 566 and three quarters. September corn up 13 and three quarters, 499 a bushel. December corn up 13 at 506 and a half. Wheat market mostly lower Thursday. September Kansas City wheat down two and a half at 843 and three quarters. September Chicago wheat down 16 and a quarter, 658 a bushel. In the energy markets, August natural gas down 3 cents, 262. August West Texas crude up 11 at 71.90 a barrel. The financial markets lower Thursday afternoon. The Dow down 358 points at 33,929. The Nasdaq down 115, 13,676. The S&P down 35 at 4,411. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.